0: Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to 2500 off an installed patio door, up to 3000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now,
2: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. So, Mike Spaulding, did you watch the Bucks game last night? I absolutely did. Okay, well, see, Here, here's... I. I, I didn't watch like the first three quarters of it. I was doing something else, and I was kind of aware it was on. But I, I so I, I kept like checking on the website to see where the score was and stuff. And I, I'm getting all these tweets and stuff, and including a, a tweet from a former colleague of ours who works in the sports industry. And, and he sends out this tweet in the first half: Bucks are look terrible. Clearly, Boston's the better team. No way the Bucks win. I, I, after. After the comeback, of course, I, I sent him a note saying, "Oops, some tweets <laughs> age better than others." And believe me, I know. You know that's <laughs> that's it. But uh, so I, I'm I'm just kind of half paying attention, and they're down by like 14 points in the middle of the third quarter, and I, I'm the game's not on. I'm just kind of checking the scores, and then all of a sudden they pulled it back to six. So I I turned it on with about six minutes left, and I I saw the best six minutes. That was an amazing game, amazing it, comeback.
3: Uh, it it was. It showed the I know like the heart of the champion is yep. like a cliche, but it it really showed it last night the last like three minutes just to have the resolve you there was a play when bobby portis had like a shot at the rim and it just bounced off his hand and it was a turnover and right. then to be able to just come back from that knowing like oh we had a chance i think it was to close it to two didn't right. made to stop on the other end it, it just was it was incredible and i hope uh, us all bucks fans are Appreciating what we're being
2: able to watch right now because we know it doesn't last forever, and last night was incredible. It, it was. As a matter of fact, I just, I to your point, I sent out a tweet. Um, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty last night, saying the character of this Bucks team is absolutely amazing, playing in an incredibly hostile environment, and Boston is a very hostile environment. Playing in an incredibly hostile environment, and down by fourteen, they found a way to win. By the way, Giannis is the most valuable player in the NBA, regardless of what some clueless writers think. There, there's, there, there is. Would if you said to any. Team Team, would you rather have X person, X person or Giannis? Everybody's gonna say Giannis. He's the best player in the NBA.
3: Yeah, I would hope so. And you know what really uh, stood out to me last night was after the game, and the, the photos are floating all over Twitter right now, but was Drew and Giannis kind of embracing after the game. They both looked incredibly exhausted. But what that told me too was that they not only play together well as a team, but I think genuinely like each other yeah. as a team and have that complete trust. And I don't know if that's just from, you know, being able to have Giannis on your team or if that's Mike Budenholder's credit, but whatever it is, as bad as they looked yesterday in that third quarter, you just never got the sense they they were never giving up. You know, right. it was never Giannis getting to the post and constantly Calling for the ball for Drew to pass it because right. I think you just have that trust and
2: that comes from winning the championship. But that's what really stood out to me yesterday. Right. Well, I, no, I think you're right. I think this is a team that likes it, the, each other. Just, just like that, that's one of the great things about the Brewers. And I, you know, we we talk about this when we do the opening day shows and stuff. You have a, a team that, that I think they genuinely like each other. And I'm not saying that there's not you know some personalities and egos and stuff, but I think they they genuinely enjoy playing with each other and are are willing to do what it is to win, We're unlike in the NBA, I think, unfortunately, too many of the players in general, they're about themselves. I need to get my points. You know, that's, okay, if the team wins, that's great, but I want to score my 20 or 25 points to put myself in a position for a better contract or whatever. I don't necessarily get the sense that that's what the Bucks are all about.
3: No, and the fact that you're having... You know, Pat Connaughton be your consistent third option in not a must-win game last night, but you know, going down three-two is a, is a lot worse than being up three-two. Uh, but being able to have you know Giannis there to hmm. kind of set the tone of you know we're a team, and you could have saw them fall apart two years ago in that Heat series and win in the bubble when they lost, you could have saw things right. go awry, and it didn't. And uh, you know, you're seeing that experience play out against a Boston team that I think right now, without the Bucks having Chris Middleton. Is better, but they just don't seem to have the, again that heart that you saw the Bucks display last night. No,
2: it's so. I mean, who knows? This doesn't mean it's over. But I, I do think if the Bucks had lost last night, their chances of being able to come back and win in Milwaukee on Friday and win in Boston on Sunday, I'm not saying they couldn't have done it because they they had a, you know a great run in New Jersey last year. But I I just I, I thought this was a big game, and I, I would not be surprised if they are able to go ahead and win on Friday night.
3: Well, if you're Boston, you have to feel deflated a little bit, right? You would think you blew
2: the, a 14 point lead at home.
3: Yeah, you didn't lose, you blew, or you didn't get beat. You lost. Like yeah. you lost that game. It was in your hands. You have, you know, with Tatum playing the way he's playing and everything like yeah. that. Like you had an opportunity there to just close it, and you couldn't do it. And you know what? To to the the game's credit, last night Brian Anderson, our, our beloved Brian Anderson. Right. Mentioned the Celtics have lost big leads before, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then it turned all it just turned right against them there. So yeah, it yeah. did,
2: and I hope Milwaukee and, and Wisconsin sports fans appreciate what a kind of a golden yeah. age this is because for the Bucks you've you've got you've got Giannis, uh, the the Brewers have Christian Yelich, and I understand Yelich had a down year or two, but he appears to be back. He's just spanking the ball all over, and a great pitching staff, and of course you know you've you got the Green Bay Packers that have Aaron Rodgers. I mean it's it, it, there's not too many sports areas, not too many cities that can point to this and this and this and those type of players. And I hope we all appreciate it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it was Boston, what, in the 2010s that kind of had this when the Red Sox and the Bruins and the Patriots were obviously good then. Milwaukee and Wisconsin as a whole, we're kind of getting it right now. It's what I mean when you need to appreciate it because things don't come back the way that they were the year before. Even if you get close to a championship, that doesn't always happen. Some surprising moves, Devontae Adams all of a sudden being gone. Mm. Things just aren't always going to be this way, and I hope we are appreciating it. And the views from the Deer District, I did not go last night, but views from it, it looks like there are at least a few people uh,
2: appreciating where we're at right now. Go Bucks, absolutely! And for everybody that wants to tweet in the middle of the game, suggesting game is over, my advice is: well, you you might just want to wait just a little bit on that because you never know. That's that's why they always do say about the NBA games. You know, you you tune in the last five minutes, and that that was if you like me chose to do that yesterday, um, and you're a Bucks fan, you, you saw just the absolute best. All right, lots of ground to cover. Let us get started. This story appeared first on our news on WTMJ yesterday day. Um, other media outlets have subsequently picked it up. Here's the deal. The director of Instruct- instructional technology at, at Shorewood is apparently, at least according to his lawyer, he is in the process of being fired. Okay. Why is he in the process of being fired? Well, he's being fired for insubordination. What is the insubordination? Well, he is a whistleblower. Here's what they allege happened. All right, so the, the guy who is, again, in, in charge of institutional technology, he apparently, in early February, comes upon a series of tweets which are being sent out by four um, black staff members, actually ad, administrators, um, throughout the Shorewood system, including a, a principal. The, the guy, this is the IT guy, says, look, he, he saw v- that in these email exchanges between the, the four, they used derogatory, racist, and I would argue anti-Semitic terms to refer to white employees. The terms were cracker, cracka, cracklin, white folk, white folks, white ladies, white devil, and minority Jewish, which, you know, let's add anti-Semitic to this. So, all right, what happens is he then goes to the interim superintendent and he says look i i, I told her that this stuff w- was going on that this is this is what's happening and she told me well don't say anything about it just you know, keep keep your mouth shut about this don't tell anybody else and we will you know we'll conduct an investigation well, according to the IT director's attorney, the, the investigation is kind of a sham, and at least thus far, nothing happens institutionally to the, the four employees, although one, the principal at one of the schools, has apparently resigned, but they're not saying why. Well, meanwhile, the, the guy who is the whistleblower, what he does is he apparently makes a duplicate copy, he takes a USB flash drive, and he he downloads... These you know, various emails, so he's got an independent reference to it, and then apparently he does tell a couple people, you know what's going on here. And so now he is, at least according to the allegations, he is in the process of being fired for insubordination for making copies of the various documents and for apparently telling one or more people you know what has happened. and the argument is, also, so he's being fired for insubordination, and at the same time, many of these employees who were making the allegedly you know, racist or anti-Semitic remarks, nothing's happening to them. He says he's going to sue. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is the guy being treated unfairly? And let's take his allegations at face value. He says he finds all this stuff he goes to his superior he reports this and at least according to him the investigation ends up going absolutely nowhere but you know he protects himself he's kind of the whistleblower he does not he he just does not go quietly into the good night. He disobeys, apparently, the instruction to not tell anybody, and he does disclose to some people what's happened, and he makes copies. All right, is that a basis to discharge him, 855 And I guess the operative situation is, if this were reversed, and if it were a minority IT director in Shorewood who found similar sorts of things involving various white employees on the district's website all right would that have been treated in the same way 8556161620 how should this resolve itself we discuss in a moment which is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. We're now joined by Nate Cade, who is the attorney for the alleged whistleblower in this case. Good afternoon.
4: Jeff, how are you doing?
2: Good, good. What do you, well, obviously, you know, you've gone public with this. A lot of questions concerning the school's uh, uh, position on this.
4: Yeah, I'm happy to answer questions, but, you know, there's no doubt there will be a lawsuit, you know, he, uh, did everything right there was no investigation and uh, this was for lack of a better word done to shut him up
2: and i guess he's not going to be shut up I, I guess the 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 questionate would be if the employer i, I, I guess I, there's sort of there's two issues one is the the existence of the the arguably you know racist text between the employees And i guess the second question though is if the if the acting you know, if, if the interim, you know, school officials tell him, don't disclose this to anybody, and he does, is that potentially actionable, do you think?
4: Well, but th- but that's not quite accurate, Jeff. Okay. So there was an employee under uh, Mr. Chavon who found the messages. So he was aware. He alerts Mr. Siobhan. Right. Mr. Chavon went to the interim superintendent, right? Right. So then... He is told, don't say anything because I've got to figure out what's going on. Mr. Siobhan tells the employee who found it, huh. hey, I've met with the superintendent because he told him I was going to. That was it. And the employee, the subordinate, only found a couple messages. Mr. Chavon found many more. Got it. He did not discuss those additional messages. Got it. So it's a pretext to say, oh, you, you are in subordination because you talk to people. Let's talk about what he did. He didn't have discussions with anybody about, here are the messages, he didn't share them, he didn't screenshot them, he didn't send it out. The day he was um, suspended, air quote, or told to keep, you know, not right. doing anything while they're doing the investigation, that was March 3rd, that was a Thursday. He suspended, he was never told why he's being suspended, about 2.30. So he follows up and calls the subordinate and says, oh, by the way, we are interviewing, the school is interviewing a high-level administrator candidate, three candidates, and it was supposed to be live-streamed. Here's what you need to do to make sure that's being set up, right? Okay. Then, he also says that we've got the Ford exams, which are for fourth graders, mandatory. The school doesn't have enough computers. So he turns around and says, hey, here's what you've got to do to make sure we can get enough computers to do this mandatory exam." How is, you know, that's putting the district first. That's not putting himself first. He doesn't have, there was no testimony, no evidence that he turned around and said that he, you know, here's what you say, here's what you do, lie about this, don't tell him. None of that. At every stage, he was professional to make sure that the IT department only has three people. And once he's suspended, now it's down to two. And now that other guy got suspended. So really, it's down to one, and then contract people.
2: So So what... What's going on here? I mean, th- this is this is one I think a lot of people on the outside just kind of look at this and say, "What what what's really happening here?" Because I think most people hear this and they go, y- "You're going to fire the guy who's really the the whistleblower in this particular case." So, what do you think's happening? Oh, I'm sorry, we. We we lost it. Just it dropped off. That's uh, callback, Nate. Because I guess that that's that's my question: is what what is you know what what's what's happening here? Because again, I I put myself in the situation that if 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 it was a reversed situation, and if you had again an, a director, a, an IT director who found these sort of of tweets and who. Brought it back and who made it public? All right, here we, we've got Nate back. Nate, welcome back here. What what, what do you think? What do you think is happening? No, what do you think is happening here? Because I think a lot of us on the outside just look at this and say, "There's got to be more to this story." I mean, what what's going on here?
4: Well, Jeff, a little history. Do you remember the case a couple of years ago of the Shorewood teacher who allegedly told students slave games? Yes, made the, the gym teacher. I do that noise. Yep. The gym teacher. Well that was my client. And she got a check for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So why do you pay someone hundreds of thousands of dollars that they did something wrong? It's because there's incompetence at the top. And I'm not just talking the superintendent, I'm talking the school board. Right. If you look at the newspaper today, the journal Sentinel, there was a story by uh, uh, Alex uh, Johnson that one of the administrators involved basically said, Sam Coleman, I can't be racist because I'm black. Yep. Think about that. He, 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 he is one of the two EEO officers. So if there's any racial issues, he is involved. And he says, I can't be racist because I'm black. So imagine... If a black teacher, an African-American teacher, did something towards a Hispanic or white or Asian, whatever, he's already said, well, because they're black, they can't be racist. I'm a person of color. That's offensive. Yep. Racism is racism. So what's going on? I think that, that at the top, there is a lack of leadership, and they are afraid to call someone out for doing something wrong, because they're fearful the race card is going to be flashed on them. And, and Jeff, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a liberal. I'm not one of these people saying, you know, to a lot of your viewers, but racism is racism. It's not reverse discrimination. It's discrimination, period. End of story. Mm-hmm.
2: So what's the, walk me through the, the, the process. Has, he, has, has your client officially been terminated yet?
4: last night he was terminated correct
2: okay so that he was officially terminated so the next step would you be for you to file a notice of claim with the with the village with the school system and then assuming that's denied then you would uh, file a lawsuit
4: we already filed the notice of claim and okay. um, notice of injury we filed that last week when when the letter came out uh, for the um, suspension the only clarification I did email the lawyers last night about 11 o'clock whether they needed to have another version of that sent to them and if so i'm happy to start the process so obviously we're waiting for the school board to reject that claim we also will be filing either today or tomorrow a um um notice of charge with the eeoc which will cross appeal with the equal rights division and they will investigate and then as soon as we get our um, right to sue letter. We will be filing suit in federal court.
2: To your knowledge, has has Shorewood the school district taken any action against the the four people who supposedly sent the the racist or anti-Semitic tweets or communications?
4: I do not. I do not have any personal knowledge. But from my understanding, no. They claim they're still investigating. I don't know what the investigation is. As as you know, just flip the script. If Someone had said in text messages, and if Mr. Siobhan had found this, where you had right. four white administrators, teachers, whomever, and they started calling kids, oh, look at that little Sambo. You know, forget the N-word. Let's not, right. let's not go all the way nuclear and call them little Sambo or, you know, said sure. something like kike or anything that's offensive. Do we have any doubt that they would have been suspended?
2: Well, of course not. And they would probably have probably been fired, it, what, and, and appropriately so.
4: in exactly. What investigation do you need? The, the, the messages are there, period. And the fact is, they're on district equipment, at least for one individual, the, 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 the principal who's no longer there. Um, these were her computers. And if, you know, this all came out, and at the end of the day, she asked for a new computer. She had a, um, I think it was a 2013 um, MacBook or Mac Air. So she said, hey, I'd like a new computer. Okay. Well, they gave her a new laptop she also had a desktop and so they are dealing with the old laptop so they go on it they download data to make sure so you know before they wipe it clean and then it's supposed to be wiped clean and possibly given to somebody else that's how this got discovered yeah
2: interesting nate Cade, attorney for the claimant in this case thanks so much for joining us and obviously this case is going to get a lot of attention as it moves forward
4: Jeff, I appreciate your time.
2: Super. All right. And, and that I mean, I think you, you have the, these different double standards that, that are out there. And I think, uh, you know, he makes a very, very good point. Remember, this is not the first time Sherwood has found itself in the middle of these sort of things. And um, I guess my initial reaction, and the more I hear about this, the more I think my advice to Sherwood taxpayers would be, get ready to get out your checkbooks once again. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back with the news. There are almost 650,000 people whose lives are touched by the Wisconsin Retirement System, which covers employees of the UW system, local police, firefighters, and publicly employed teachers. Join Annex Wealth Management and our very own Steve Scafidi for a special webinar, Understand Your WRS Potential, on Wednesday, May 18th at 4 p.m. Retirement planning can be complex. What does your most recent statement mean for your plan? No matter your age or retirement status, learn more as we walk through pension scenarios and answer WRS questions. Register for the Free webinar at annexwealth.com/events. All right. When Scott Walker was the governor of Wisconsin, he issued—I do not believe any sort, any pardons at all during his, his eight years. He just did not think that was appropriate. Tony Evers comes in, and Tony Evers is issuing pardons and clemency right and left. In addition, Walker's. Walker was not aggressive with regard to trying to encourage the parole board to let dangerous people out sooner. Um, Tony Evers has a different position. Matter of fact, the head of the parole commission is a guy named John Tate. And, you know, um, Tate, when he was first appointed— He's a former social worker, and Racine Alderman, when he was first appointed by Tony Evers, the chair of the Parole Commission, he said that one of his goals was to increase the number of people who were paroled. That is, increase the number of people who are let out before the end of their sentence. Which brings me to the story, which is being discussed a lot. There's a guy named Douglas Balzowitz. Douglas Balzowitz is scheduled to be released from prison next tuesday may 17th all right now why are we talking about this well that is that day is just a couple days before the 20th 25th anniversary of the crime that he was convicted of committing so you know what did he do well in 1997 he was convicted and i think at the time he was like 28 or 29 he was convicted of stabbing his 23-year-old wife, to death in her West Alice home. He was sentenced to more than 80 years in prison as part of a plea deal. He stabbed her more than 40 times. All right, so he's sentenced. He was first eligible for parole in 2017. That parole was denied. His fifth parole review was scheduled on April 14th, and apparently the parole commission has decided we're going to take this guy who brutally murdered his wife at knife point, and we're going to release him back in the community. The statement from the parole commission is the commission has determined that the amount of time served is sufficient to as so as not to diminish the seriousness of the offense. Okay, he killed somebody by stabbing them over 40 times. Now, what's interesting here is the family of the, the victim is is fighting this. The victim's daughter, um, she said she was two years old. She was in the house when her mother was murdered. She says he's killed someone and they're not even giving him half of his sentence. The sentence was 80 years. They're letting him go after 25. Um, the Sir sisters surviving sisters, that would be of the victim, and the daughter, they're saying this is just fundamentally wrong here to let somebody out after not even serving a third of his sentence. Um, The victim's family, very, very discouraged. They say, you know, we've been fighting this, and we've been fighting this, but, you know, we're convinced that it's not going to change anything. The parole commission says, well, well, don't worry, we're going to carefully monitor— this, this guy, we're going to watch him, and he's been ordered to have no contact with the victims or their family members." Um. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's fine. But the underlying point is you have somebody who committed about as brutal murder as possible, and he's being released after serving, in this case, 25 years, which is a long period of time. But he's he's in his mid-50s, so he's going to be released, and he's going to have decades more, presumably, to go about and live his life, whereas the 23-year-old woman, his, his wife at the time, who he killed in about as brutal a fashion as possible, well, you know, she, she never saw another sunrise. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Okay, let's tee this up. Should we be paroling brutal murderers before they've served at least a third of their sentence. Now I understand in some cases you have these situations where you know you have maybe somebody who's served forty or fifty years and they're eligible for parole. They're getting older and you you want to say okay they they don't pose a danger and and maybe they've maybe they've they've served a sufficient time. In this case, I guess my question is. How cheap is life in Wisconsin that you can murder somebody in this brutal fashion and walk away after 25 years, 855-6161-620, over the objection of the family members of the victim? Because I will tell you something, as somebody who has worked with and knows people who have been the victims of or who family members have been the victims of violent crimes, that That loss never goes away, and yet in this particular case, this guy is going to be out in his mid-50s. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Yeah, there is one more dazzling detail in connection with this murderer's parole that's been arranged by the, the Tony Evers Parole Commission. And don't let Evers duck this. This, this is the philosophy. It, Tony Evers is not the guy sitting on the parole board, but the guy who runs the parole board is Tony Evers' choice. And this is all about this decision of we want to parole more people. At the time of the sentencing in 1997 for the Douglas Balzowitz, the, the murderer— okay, Okay, the sentencing judge was Diane Sykes. Diane Sykes was a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge who went on to be a state Supreme Court justice, and now she's on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. All right, at the time of sentencing after he was convicted of stabbing his wife 42 times in front of their two children, uh, in the transcript of the sentencing hearing, this is what the sentencing judge said, I'm not permitted to set parole eligibility in this case, but I will state for the record, for what it's worth to the parole board, that this is not an appropriate case for any form of early release. Well, apparently— you know, 20-some years later, the Tony Evers Parole Commission decides, no, we're, we're going to take these dangerous people and we're going to put them back out on the street after only serving at least less than a third of their sentence, which does make me wonder, is this now the, the new standard that's out there? Is any murderer who is eligible for parole— are they going to be turned loose? And is that what we really, is, what is the purpose then of, of trying for retribution, for example? What is the purpose of punishment if you can let somebody take a life in the most brutal fashion and then have some parole commission somewhere say, okay, well, we think he served enough time. We're going to send him back out into the community. Let's start with Terry. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hey good afternoon, Jack. I just want to say like I told your producer in the words of uh Randy Jackson from American Idol, that's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> no, 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 no. He should have got 100 years for every stab on. He said 4,000 years in prison. This you know, it's stuff like this that makes me want to run for office. It like like I don't there, I don't know what's going on in society. It seems like we're it seems like people are losing their minds when it comes to objective truth. And, and what's real and what's good and what's bad. How can anybody, every everyone involved in this, from the police officers to the prosecutors, from to the judges, all have women in their family who are yep. wives, sisters, mothers, aunts, grandmothers, daughters, nieces, whatever, cousins. None of them should want this guy out around nope. society. Cause this puts everybody in danger. This puts my fiance in danger. This puts my the women I know in danger. Like why when we put so why is
5: this even a conversation
2: what the hell is wrong like, like well no i think Jeff, ter- no terry that's a fair thanks for coming. that's a fair question what the hell is wrong with it but this is the philosophy that you have to understand that comes from the evers administration it's that we, we don't want to have mass incarceration you know and so th- this is the idea we, we want to turn people loose well it doesn't take into account in any way shape or form the impact that crime has on these victims now I, again, I, I don't want this to be too personal, but I, I have very dear friends who years ago their, their son was taken in a brutal murder, completely innocent. And, and they have been fighting this fight because the, this parole commission is, is threatening to release a couple of the, the people or at least one of the people that was responsible for their son's murder. And it's like reliving this over and over and over again where every year you have to go fight this because you know at least the current makeup of the parole commission is to lean on turning people loose. And this is that horror story. For God's sake, the man murdered his wife at knife point in front of their children, for goodness sakes. The sentencing judge says, look, I don't have the power to, to do anything about this, but under this circumstance, he should never be released early. And then because it is now fashionable to say, all right, well, you know, we, we want to turn the guy loose. He, he, he hasn't had any incidents in prison, so we're going to forget about the fact that he murdered somebody at knife point, for goodness sake. What is wrong here And I understand we want to be hip and trendy. I understand that we want to be socially conscious. I understand that we don't want to hold people accountable. But at some point in time, it, we don't have the death penalty in this state. Okay, that, that's fine. But does that mean that you have to have a parole commission that's going to bend over backwards to turn people loose? And if you're going to turn this person loose, my question to the governor and the parole commission would be, okay, how many other murderers are you planning to let loose? Over the course of, well, however much longer Tony Evers is in office, how many more murderers are you going to let loose after they've served 20 years or so of their sentence over the objections of the family members of the victims? Jane. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks
0: Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Say, um, I this is just wrong and your previous caller nailed it right on the head. What the hell is wrong with society? Now, I will say this, you know, at what point do you let murderers out? I think never. However, I think about women that are domestically abused and they kill the person that's abusing them. I get that. Are they a cold blooded killer? No, they are defending themselves and trying to get out of a bad situation, which I know could be a whole other conversation, sure. but should they be trying to, to empty our jails and prisons? I, I think they're overpopulated from what I hear and read, but I don't think starting with murderers is yes. the place to go.
2: Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly <laughs> right. if, if We were having a conversation about a nonviolent offender, you know, being paroled. Oh, okay. You know, then you can have then you can argue, Okay, if the person served eight years of a 20 year sentence for uh, some nonviolent sort of offense, is that enough or whatever? But but this this is a guy who brutally murdered his wife in front of her children, you know, by stabbing him, what, 40 plus times. Yeah. Yeah. No, no thanks for call it is the, the sentencing judge begging the parole commission you know to say look and, and here's the problem the victim can't speak for herself because the victim is dead because of the behavior that this guy did so you know you, you you have at least this case the sentencing judge who back in 1997 is trying to speak for the victim and saying do not let this guy out but be now because it's fashionable because we want to let more people out because we don't don't like the idea of mass incarceration, we're going to take brutal murders and we're going to put them on the street. And by the way, I, I make no prediction about whether this guy reoffends or not. Although, I, I, if you're willing to commit this sort of crime, and killing somebody with a knife is an incredible crime of, of anger and violence. I mean, it's it, it's it's not like you. I don't know, get get upset. You pull out a gun and pull a trigger once. I mean, to stab somebody 40 plus times is just an incredible act of violence and rage and hate. And so you you wonder if you're capable of that. Are are you ever not going to be capable of that? But that doesn't matter to me. What really matters to me is the fact that when we talk about the need of punishment, you know, life is cheap in Wisconsin under this current parole commission. Twenty five years. Boom. You are out the door What does that say for victims and their families? Not a lot. When we come back, a matter that I've been following since 2019, it's scary. Every parent should be concerned about this because this could happen to you. Stick around.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Yeah. All right. Just continuing the, the theme of today's show, which is lawsuits and uh, early releases and is justice being done? And we started off talking about the IT supervisor at Shorewood who is going to file a lawsuit. And my advice to the Shorewood taxpayers is once again, because of the incompetence of your school officials and school board, get ready to reach out and find and Get ready to pay for your checkbooks. Then we had the story of Tony Evers' parole commission, which, for reasons that pass understanding, is taking a a vicious murderer— And despite the fact that the sentencing judge said, look, I I recommend you you never let this guy out before his sentence is served, and they're letting him out um, before he served even a third of his sentence over the objections of the victims, family members, and the pleas from other people in the community, they've decided we're going to turn this guy loose. Well, I want to go back to a case. It's now back in the news, but this got a lot of attention in 2019. It involves a, a guy named John Cox, who at the time was 39 years old. He was an emergency room physician at Children's Hospital. His wife, Sarah Dabrowski, she um, was also a doctor at Children's Hospital as well. And the, the two of them got caught up in what I think could fairly be described as a nightmare sort of situation. You might remember this story. What happens is they, were, they, they had two adopted children the couple. And they were in the process of adopting a, a third. They had a little baby, and they, they didn't have custody of the baby fully, but it was one of those things while they they were working out the details of the adoption, they had partial, they had temporary custody of of the baby. So here's the story of of what happened. Apparently um, May of twenty nineteen, the girl was about a month old and she is sleeping in the bed with Dad. Okay, Dad is 39 at the time, and she, she's a month old. And Dad says he fell asleep in his bed. Says he woke to her crying, and he feared he had rolled over onto her. Okay, now this is, of course, every parent's nightmare, right? Okay, he then, all right, says, okay, he does a quick examination, and he's afraid that, that you know, he, he might have hurt her. So he's not covering up anything. He immediately takes her to the family pediatrician because he says, I, I looked at it, and I'm worried when I rolled over, I, I, I was asleep. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I'm worried that I might have broken the baby's collarbone. So he, he takes her to the family physician. They do x-rays, and initial x-rays don't show a broken collarbone. But another doctor takes a look at this and sees small marks on the inside of the baby's arms and a small mark on her back. Okay, at that point in time, they notify the hospital's child advocacy team and a quote-unquote child abuse pediatrician examines the girl. They then come in and they do more tests. And despite what the initial x-ray show, that they find that, yeah, the dad was, was right, that the child had a broken collarbone. Now, this is, it's, it's, a, it's a one-month-old child. Okay, so the child goes home with the doctor and, and his wife, um, who, again, they're serving as the pre-adoptive foster parents. Later that night, A pair of investigators from Child Protective Services come to their home and look at the baby again. He's then subsequently charged. um, Eight months later, January of 2020, the DA's office, who apparently didn't have enough to do with themselves, issues a complaint And they said, okay, well, there's a couple marks, and, you know, we believe that these conditions do not occur in non-mobile infants absent some form of abuse. Okay, so they conclude after, you know, going to... They get in these these experts, and there's a couple people out there. There's almost this cottage industry of a certain subsect of doctors who are are looking to find child abuse. Child abuse is terrible. When somebody abuses their child, it deserves to be ferreted out, and they deserve to be prosecuted. But at the same time, you've got a group of doctors out there who I think look at what is generally routine sort of situations, and conclude okay that this is this is an abusive situation, and in this particular case, this was the subject of, of a huge battle, and the doctor in this case had all sorts of experts, including a number of his colleagues who were saying, look we we've looked at this situation, and this is perfectly consistent with rolling over there, there's no there's no evidence of abuse that, that's here um but at the same time, there, there's some other doctors who, again, are, are in this whole thing uh, of looking, and I think trying to find abuse in many cases, and, and maybe you're trying to err on the side of caution, but that's what they end up doing, so, that are concluding, well, you know, we, we think this particular injury couldn't have occurred unless there was some degree of abuse. One of the reports that was issued apparently claimed that there were bruises all over the child's body, and, and that, I guess, turns out to be untrue. So anyhow, the district attorney's office brings a criminal charge in this case. The doctor tried to get it dismissed before trial and and failed. The judge said, okay, no, you, you're entitled to a trial on this. The DA's office, I think recognizing that there was no way they could win the case, cut a deferred prosecution agreement. In other words, the doctor pled no contest um, to neglecting a child under the age of six as part of a deferred prosecution agreement. And so what that means is— what happens is he's got to take parenting classes, do some community service, and once he completes that, the, the case is just dismissed. So there's no conviction on its record, nothing like that. So to make the case go away, Dr. Cox goes through this. Well, what's happened now is, of course, the, the, the adoption of this little baby was was 86. That ended up not happening. He's completed his deferred prosecution agreement. The charges have been dropped and dismissed, so they they go away, and now he's filed a lawsuit um, against... Medical College, Wisconsin, Children's Hospital, several doctors, a nurse practitioner, the Division of Milwaukee Child Protective Services, and supervisors and social workers within the agency. And he says, look, I, I was wrongly targeted by overzealous child abuse investigators, and now he's he's suing. He accuses the defendants of conspiracy, negligence, defamation, and retaliation involving and violating his due process rights. So this matters back in the court, and he's not going quietly. He says, look, I, this— this was not a situation of child abuse. This was a situation where now he wouldn't say well-intended. I'll say maybe well-intended, but clearly overzealous people looking to find child abuse where none occurred um, went after me. And, of course, the scary thing is if this happens to this guy who's an emergency room doctor, I mean, does it, does it happen to other folks? And, and here's, here is the problem, and this is, I guess, what I want to talk about. Beyond this particular case— I think it is, of course, important whenever you have evidence, significant evidence, that there is a child abuse situation, you want to have authorities move in, you want to have the doctors move in, you want to make sure that you don't have a parent or somebody else who's abusing the children. At the same time, stuff happens. I mean, can I see a show of hands, you know, anybody who's, you know, raised kids, that there hasn't been the situation where the, the child trips and falls or the child, I don't know, runs into something and gets a cut or, you know, a situation where, okay, the, in, even if it's a baby or something, that the toddler or whatever, you know, slips and hits their head, what, whatever. I mean, accidents do, in fact, happen. And I guess the scary thing about this is, is it possible that parents— might become reluctant to take their kids into emergency rooms or to the family pediatricians because you've almost got this witch hunt environment that's out there that assumes the parents are in fact guilty of of abuse and it becomes an innocent until proven a guilty until proven innocent situation where, well, that the child the child has a bruise. Well, how did the child get the bruise? Well, I don't know that the child was running in the house and fell over and banged themselves. huh? They fell over and banged themselves. Are you sure you didn't push the child over? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There was something about this case all along that just didn't sit right with me because— candidly, and it's why I think the district attorney ended up entering the Deferred Prosecution Agreement, because you you had experts, and you had doctors all over the map, and they couldn't conclude definitively that this was abuse. Yes, you had a couple of these people who specialize in trying to find child abuse saying, well, you know, we, we think it could. And you had just as many people on the other side saying, no, this is perfectly consistent with, hey, dad falls asleep, the baby's on the bed with him, the dad rolls over, and, and you have this. And when you have no other examples of child abuse when there's two other adopted kids and there's there's no evidence of this found I think this this case has always been scary to me not just because of the of the doctor but because could this happen to anyone and if you do have overzealous investigators that are pursuing this does it make parents, reluctant, perhaps, to take the kid into the emergency room after the kid has a legitimate sort of a fall, because people are going to be assuming, like I say, guilty and less proven innocent. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you have small kids in in particular, and doesn't—I mean, and stuff happens— are, are you ever reluctant to seek medical treatment for him because you don't want to find yourself in exactly the same situation that this doctor did? Now, I don't know how the lawsuit's going to pursue, and I, I don't know whether he's going to collect money or not, but this whole thing really had to have been a nightmare, and you, you come away with it just unconvinced that this guy was really an abuser, instead might have been kind of a victim himself. 855-616-1620. We discuss. <laughs> 855 Jeff, the problem I have with Child Protective Services is that they go all in on cases where nothing is going on, but ignore the worst cases, the ones that scream abuse. Yeah, there's something like that. Jeff, stuff does happen. One of our daughters had four instances of a broken arm. We always thought that DCFS would knock on our door. We're glad to have pediatricians that would see scrapes and bruises and indicated that they played outside like our kids Did. Um, Jeff, too bad we don't have prosecutors that are this zealous about prosecuting car theft. Yeah, that's it. Jeff, we always take our kids in no matter what. If your kid needs to see a doctor, they need to see a doctor. But yeah, our kids are kids are incredibly accident prone. We have a three, five, seven and 12 year old broken bones, stitches, dislocated elbow, etc. They are active kids running around. What happened to this doctor could in fact happen to anyone. Let's start with Ann. Ann, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Yes, hi, good afternoon. Yes, I agree that uh, given the certain circumstances that something like this could easily happen to anyone. I remember about 30 years ago when my daughter was a little over one and just at that just walking stage, you know, and they take a couple of steps and they fall easily, was just in the kitchen. And for a second, all of a sudden heard her cry and didn't realize exactly what she had done. But she had fallen at the edge of the had yep. the big egg pop out on her forehead, rushed, rushed her over to the hospital, and, you know, we were just really distraught, could hardly say anything, and they took her from us. They talked to us, uh, both her dad and I individually, I'm sure, just to verify, you know, that our right. stories were correct and so forth. So it is a, a fine line that you walk. Um, fortunately, you know, that was,
6: yeah.
0: everything went okay there, but I, I could just see how it could, easily turn the other way quickly
2: well yeah i mean th- thanks for the call i appreciate it and you know what's always th- this particular case i guess i've always figured that um, I, I mean it was the the injuries to this particular child were and i don't want to say minimal but they were consistent with like rolling over on on the kid and 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 you know should you be sleeping in the bed with the child well no we, you know we we've, we've talked about those sort of things but in this particular case i mean they had to do multiple multiple tests to determine there was a broken collarbone you can argue that it was it was only because of the aggressive protective nature of the emergency room physician in the first place that that you took you took the kid into the pediatrician and the first x-rays didn't show any sort of abuse at all that this one I, I think what happened is you, you had some of the medical establishment that got the DA's office to go along with this, and the DA's office realized that the charges weren't going to get go anywhere, which is why they had the deferred prosecution agreement. But the larger point here is in, in the interest of trying to ferret out legitimate child abuse, which is a, a worthy, worthy goal – are we going too far? And this is this is one of the things, this case together with a handful of others, got all sorts of analysis. And again, when, when you have the medical community that's split about, well, you know, we don't necessarily see the evidence of abuse here, and you have like a handful of investigators who are looking for child abuse, you know, you, you don't want to ignore it. But my goodness, aren't there enough like real clear-cut cases of abuse that we should be dealing with as opposed to trying to figure, okay, is this abuse or is this not abuse? Let's talk to, um, we've got uh, Ron. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ron. What do you think? Ron? Ron, Ron, uh, Ron. Go ahead. Yes. Yes, I'm here. Go ahead.
7: I, uh, my son is now, he's 29 now. This happened when he was four, so little kid. Um, he was, uh, walking around the house and he had, uh, his shoulder and his arm were extremely painful and they were kind of drooping. Uh, we thought maybe he separated his shoulder or whatever. We didn't know what was wrong. We ended up taking him in and, after they looked at them and sort of deducted some things, it turns out they ended up separating me and my wife from him, put us in a room and started asking us questions about how are things at home? Is there any problems with you or your son? Or sort of, we sort of realize that they're thinking this is something that we did that yeah. we did to him. Um and then as it all turned out uh they were they seemed to be satisfied with our answers we obviously weren't having any problems at all and then then all of a sudden we realized that um I I when I would say give him a piggyback ride I grab him from the front kind of grab his arms and just sort of mm-hmm. whip him around and throw him up on my shoulders well evidently when you do that to little kids there's some nerve or something in their arm that can be dislodged, uh-huh. and that's what ended up happening. but we didn't have a problem with with what with what they did um and the questions they asked we actually we actually appreciated it mm-hmm. um but thankfully. <laughs> It yeah, all worked out, and we did not get arrested, and, well, and yeah. Jacob is now fine.
2: Well, that, that, well, and that, and that's fine. And that's why I mean, there, there's, I, I think part of the problem is here. We're we're in this area, like I say, it's it's kind of guilty until proven innocent, and and you want to identify child abuse, and I understand that that's this real sort of thing, but it's almost like any time a kid comes in there, the the thing is going to be all right. There, there has to be something going on here. When the truth is, you know, kids in, in many cases, you just just sort of fall down. I have a I have a friend who's one of the they're two of the best parents ever. They got four kids, and you know, they're I, I think they almost live in the emergency room, not because they're abusive, but because they've got four active kids who fall down and get bumps and bruises and things like that. They're just active, energetic kids, and they live in fear that they're going to get this knock on the door saying, "Hey, are you abusing your?" kids. And this, this is, again, a classic example, I think, of some of this overzealousness that might be out there. And all I'm saying is at some point in time, Aren't there enough real cases of abuse that we want to aggressively go after that without trying to, I don't know, manufacture situations where maybe none exists? We'll continue to follow this case because all along I have been troubled by it, not from the fact that I want to see aggressive investigations and prosecutions of people who are child abusers, but rather because I don't want to see innocent people kind of get swept up in this era of suspicion, given the fact that stuff does happen to kids from time to time. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ Steve's graffiti are once again partnering to recognize the heroes in our community. Police officers, firefighters healthcare providers and countless others help every day to protect our families. They're the first on the scene when critical accidents and unfortunate events occur. Do you know a first responder who deserves recognition for their duties? Then head to wtmj.com and make your nomination now. And please hurry, the nomination period ends May 13th. So that's going to be um what, tomorrow, right? 13th, 14th? Yeah, it's going to be the 13th. It's Waterstone Bank Salute to Service on News Radio WTMJ. All right. uh, Another day, another child murdered on the mean streets of Milwaukee. So far, according to the Milwaukee Police Department, their crime statistic numbers there. And this is it's unimaginable. There's been 77 homicides year to date. And that's actually low. I think there's probably a couple more. Same time last year, they say there were 51. So that's, you know, that's almost a f- uh, 40 to 50 percent increase. But one of the other things is it, it's teenagers that, that are dying um, over the weekend. Of course, you had the shooting at three o'clock in the afternoon. What was it on Saturday at the outside the McDonald's at 49th and Hampton, where you had, you know, two teenagers who were killed and uh, another one who is in I think remains in critical condition as a result of a shooting uh, apparently. You know the, the the war on kids continues um yesterday about six thirty p m fourteen year old boy showed up at, at a hospital with a gunshot wound and the, 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 the unfortunately the the child ended up dying as a result of the gunshot wound the police continue to seek unknown suspects. Circumstances leading up to the shooting and the location of the shooting are still under investigation. But, you know, another day and another teenager who's murdered in, in Milwaukee. And this stuff... It's just again, it's this unthinkable level of violence, and we we have to, we got to get start getting serious uh, about this, and that means the community coming forward, that means the community dropping this no snitching philosophy that's out there, and it means a commitment. I, I think to. Not only prosecute people after they murdered someone, but also, you know, when when you have people that I don't know are are walking around carrying guns, you you catch them, you got to hold them accountable before they use the guns. And if that means that you're going to incarcerate a certain percentage of a community, fine, incarcerate a certain percentage of the community, because the alternative to that is 14-year-old kids shot in the middle of the day. All right. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner620. I, I I sent out a link to this the other yesterday because I, for those of you who are keeping score at home, a, another brutal day in, in the stock market. The stock market has been relentlessly bad since, well, certainly since the beginning of the year. The Dow Jones Industrials down another five hundred and seventy-five points. Um, which is about 1.8%, the NASDAQ down 219, which is another 2%. Um, and, and this is, it's not just an up and down, back and forth. I mean, these have been just never ending drops. And And it might be fine if you're 25 years old, and you've got a small nest egg, and you've got a lot of time to retirement. But watching all this wealth, admittedly paper wealth, just disappear, stuff that you've taken years to build up, and it's just like disappearing on a daily basis as the market continues to crater. Um, if you're in retirement or you're near retirement or you'd like to retire at some point in time, you look at what's going on and, and you see, okay, th- these are these are huge real-world problems. And what's really frustrating to me is you've got the president of the United States who well, press conferences where he essentially says, I don't have any ideas and it's not my fault. None of this, none of this is, is my fault at all. You know, Putin, uh, Putin started the war in Ukraine and that's increased fuel costs. And, you know, we still got the supply chain problems with COVID and that that's that it, it's it's not my fault. And of course, Embodied in that is I have no solutions to this, which is as a result why the market continues to crater and people continue to watch their 401ks or their IRAs or whatever just decrease dramatically day after day after day. Well, anyways, I sent out a link to this. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 There was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, and it was called President Costanza Takes on Inflation. Biden lays out his plan on prices, but he'd better do better if but he'd do better if he did the opposite. And I've got a link to this. If you remember the old TV show Seinfeld, and one of the characters was like the Jerry's best friend George played by Jason Alexander. And there's a show where George, he's just sitting there and he's saying, "You know what? He said my my entire life, everything I've done has been wrong. My every instinct has been wrong." And I, I do this stuff, I follow my instinct, and it never, ever, ever works out. And I've got a link to the, this clip. And so the Jerry Seinfeld character says, well, you know, maybe you should do the opposite. He says, what do you mean? He said So everything that you think, if you're inclined to do something, do the opposite. Just what whatever you would normally be inclined to do, just go the other way and he thinks about it he says i do the opposite and then it, it's just a great show because for example there's an attractive woman sitting at the lunch counter and under normal circumstances he would you know never go up and talk to her if he talked to her he would lie to her about her circumstances he says okay so he he goes up to her and he says hi I, i'm george i'm unemployed i'm um i'm living at home with my parents etc and she says oh would you like to go out it just and then that's the whole premise of it you just do the opposite well That's why, you know, Joe Biden should maybe become President Costanza and and just do the opposite, because if you look at the things that Joe Biden has done since he took office, pretty much everything has been wrong when it comes to dealing with inflation. Now, look, I understand That There are some factors beyond his control. He didn't invade the Ukraine. I I get that. But at the same time, Joe Biden, for example, has pretty much declared war on the fossil fuel industry. And then you wonder why gasoline is, is pushing $5 a gallon. You try to blame it all on Putin, but that's just not true. Does Putin have some blame? Yes. Does the shutoff of Russian oil have some blame? Yes. But you've got a president who's, again, done everything he could to discourage individual investment in in fossil fuels and, and drilling, and they've threatened more regulation. And as a result, gee, we're, we're producing less. Well, well, who could be surprised at that? At a time where you should be cutting back on spending, what have we done? We've been giving—we gave out $1.9 trillion in money that we didn't have to people, and and essentially rewarding them for for not working, for not producing. And we we wonder why costs are going through the roof. So, I mean, I think this is kind of pretty telling. If you were wanting to give some economic advice to the president as a way to kind of get us out of this problem that we're in now, before the November midterms become a complete debacle, it it would be—it would just— go George Costanza. Just do the opposite. Whatever your instinct is, if your instinct is, let's try to shut down domestic oil production, do the opposite. You'll be surprised at how it works. If your instinct is, let's try to print all sorts of other money that we can give out to people so they can spend money without necessarily having to produce things, do the opposite. Just Dial this stuff back, and then don't be surprised if if maybe you see inflation start to get a bit under control. But right now, this this is is brutal, and if you're planning to retire anytime soon, I I feel you. I I just do because— If you thought you had X amount of dollars, well, right now you probably have, you know, X minus 20% fewer dollars, and you don't know where this is going to end because you're certainly not getting any sort of concept or ideas out of Washington, D.C. that the people in government have any idea where this is going to end or what to do to make it stop. Back with more in just a minute. It has been disappointing to me the way to see a- abortion being politicized over the course of the last you know week or two now look i i understand a- abortion has always been a political issue Um, But after the leaking of the rough draft of a Supreme Court decision a couple weeks ago, the way folks have tried to jump in in an effort to try to, uh, again, score political points on an issue has been to me extremely disappointing. And it's also led to some of the craziness. For example, you know, you you had that that firebombing of the the pro-life center in, in Madison, and it, it is interesting that at least initially you, you didn't have any degree of—the the sort of condemnation of this was—it was almost kind of like crickets. Oh, we don't think it's a good idea that people are committing arson, whereas if you know you know if it had been a Planned Parenthood center or something, you know that this would have been a national story and, and headlines, and at least last time I can check, that they still— they still haven't made any arrests in connection with people who, again, firebombed a pro-life center in Madison. So it's it's been difficult because now the crazies are really out, and at least some of those crazies are prone to violence and things like that. Well, instead of trying to come up with— responsible, reasonable solutions to these things, what you have is you have political posturing. And there was something that that happened yesterday in the U.S. Senate, That the classic example of that. Now, I think it's always important to back up and talk about Roe versus Wade for a minute. If Roe versus Wade is reversed, it does not make abortion illegal in this country. It simply says that there's not a constitutional right to abortion. And as a result, state legislatures have the right to come in and do what they want. They they can make laws, and a a number of state legislatures have those different laws. Wisconsin is in a weird situation because Wisconsin has an 1849 statute which which bans abortion. So theoretically, if Roe were reversed— what would happen is this 1849 statute would kick in, and I say theoretically because as a practical matter, I just don't believe that you're going to have any prosecutors that are going to try to rely on an 1849 statute to prosecute doctors. Don't think that's going to be the case. But, but the bottom line is th- this needs to be a legislative solution. And as I have been arguing for the last couple weeks, there needs to be—there there is, I think, there is a middle ground that is here. of the abortions that are conducted in this country are done in the first 15 weeks, right? I I think if you look at a number of the states that are out there now, I I think at some point in time, you're going to see a a consensus of, okay, elective abortions up to a certain point, and I don't know if that's 14 weeks or 15 weeks or 18 weeks or or whatever that is, all right, right? That's going to be codified into law, and then you'll have other exceptions moving forward for the health of the mother and things like that. That's where I think ultimately we're all going to end up. Well, you know, yesterday in the U.S. Senate, Chuck Schumer, who is trying to raise money off this issue, they put through a a bill which would have legalized abortion federally. Now, whether that would have still controlled states is a whole different story, But, but the provisions... Of of the bill that the Senate had put in made it impalatable to just the, a lot of people, including some pro-choice Republicans, because it essentially said, you know, abortions up to seven months would would be okay. It said that uh, religious. Hospitals, for example, would have no right to refuse to do abortions. It said that uh, children, you know, minors could get abortions without any sort of notification of the parents, all sorts of poison pill things that they put in there, plus this whole definition of, again, you could do abortions up to like the, the sixth or the seventh month, stuff that I think a lot of people backed off on. In any event, it was it was not in my opinion, a serious effort to try to, you know, resolve this very thorny issue. Instead, it was just something, we want to throw this out there, we know we're going to put things in there that even the pro-choice Republicans can't vote for, because we want this issue that when we run in November, we can try to run on this issue. It's be really interesting to see people on both sides of the aisle kind of back up on this and start talking about what the real post-Roe versus Wade world needs to look like, and start talking about, like, serious legislation, which I think recognizes that there is a right to abortion up to a certain point, and beyond that, that there's going to be limits on it. Is that too much to ask for? guess so. I have always believed that karma—not good karma, but karma, you know, fate, that sort of stuff—I've always believed that— Well, karma can be a you-know-what. And I've just always believed that in the scope of things, you know, the good stuff you do comes back eventually, and the bad stuff you do goes back eventually. But sometimes it takes a little while for karma to kick in, and then sometimes not. Suspect in retail theft, struck and killed by vehicle while he was fleeing the Oak Creek Menards. Apparently, um, this is the description, 41-year-old guy— who apparently stole a bunch of stuff Tuesday at the Menards at Oak Creek, was fleeing. So the the cops are coming because they've got a report of the shoplifting suspect. Guy matching that description was seen running north around 1245 p.m. in the 6500 block of South 27th Street. He was struck by a vehicle also traveling north. So the guy has at least allegedly stolen all sorts of stuff. He is trying to flee. He runs into traffic, and bad stuff ends up happening. So, you know, again, we we don't have the death penalty for shoplifting, nor nor should we. But for people who are out there, you know, considering committing various crimes, what you have to understand is is karma can be a you know what. And in this particular case, that's precisely what happened. The guy trying to flee gets hit, and in this case, unfortunately, killed by a by a car. So maybe. I guess maybe the answer would be if you decide to shoplift, you you shouldn't be running through traffic because bad things could happen. But maybe the real lesson is don't shoplift in the first place. Don't commit crimes. You won't have to flee the police and you won't put yourself in danger. We've got a great two o'clock hour coming up. Don't go anywhere.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Jane, I'm falling apart. <laughs> you know, it's just, I, I just... Just I, today? I, well, it's it, it, it just kind of like, you know, I, I've started... You know the golf season started again, and I'm I'm trying to be healthier, so I'm I'm walking as much as I can, and I just I, I, I we played nine holes yesterday, and I kind of tweaked my like left hip, and then then this morning, and but at least that I understand it, it's from the walking. Season. So, so this morning, I'm I, I was bending over to like like pick up this bucket and I hadn't even picked up the bucket yet. I was bending over to do it and I feel something go out on the right side. Oh, no. So I'm I'm like, okay, so my the right side it's just a little muscle strain or something, but it's kinda like, okay, left leg screwed up right side back
6: is screwed up i you know it's just like getting old is a you know what absolutely you're familiar with comedian pat noswald sure he does a whole thing about what happened to his body after turn after he turned 50 is that it and he said i it, I can't do anything i you know if i sneeze i break my foot <laughs> was, if i if i cough my shower my collarbone shatters <laughs> you know it's just it, it's endless
2: well it was like i said this morning it i, I wouldn't have felt bad if I, I was, if I had been I'm trying to lift the bucket. No, no. My, I, I felt something tweak when I was bending over to pick up the bucket. I didn't even get to the lifting part, you know? Oh, I did. I did that with, I was throwing away a Kleenex. And I bent over. Yeah, that was bad. It's just, it's just like these, these, these. Tweet, you know, and it's. But I, I guess I mean it's the endless progression of time. My birthday is like Monday, and it's one of these sort of like seminal type of birthdays. I'm, I'm figuring. Okay, well, I hope it's not all downhill from here. At least you better but,
6: wrap yourself up in some bubble wrap this weekend, my friend. <laughs>
2: that, okay, there you go. Thanks. So it, it's kind of like I, I was listening to Jane's news, and normally I'm sitting in the chair. I was just kind of standing up because it made my leg and my back feel better. I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know where else we have to, to go. My wife said last night, you're coughing a little bit. I said, I just have a little bit of a dry throat. So you're coughing, your know, back screwed up, your legs screwed up. <sighs> I don't know. It does, however, beat the options. All right. Speaking of, of time marching on, now bear with me, um, give you a little background before we open up the phone lines to discuss this. I am, I, and I, I admit this, I am not an early adopter. It takes a little while. I'm not the guy that, that has to be standing in line the, the minute the latest electronic gadget comes out. That, that's just never been me. So what typically happens is because some things end up being fads, I, I wait a little bit. And then if it seems like it's going to be pretty cool, then I, 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 I jump on board. So I was not one of the first people to the, the iPod craze but you remember when the old iPods came out i have to tell you it was one of the coolest things in the world you know the old iPods from apple that at least in the first couple generations of them they they were just all they did is played music, and what you would do is you could download songs from iTunes onto them, and then they, they had that little circular dial and stuff, and then you could, you could take it. And, and what you would do is in something that was about the size of a cigarette package, you, know, you could put that in headphones, and you could take your entire music library with you. And I admit, I thought up before that, it would be, you'd, you'd have like portable cassette players and things like that, or CD players, and you'd have to take a bunch of CDs if you wanted to go on the road and things like that. And then you have this iPod. and of course I have a huge music library. so I downloaded, I probably got five, six, seven, thousand songs on my old original iPod. So what happened about a year or two ago is the, the old iPod I had, it would still work. But the batteries it just it wouldn't recharge, it wouldn't hold the charge, but if you plugged it in, you you could listen to tunes so i I used it in the car for a while and then what happened is I finally decided to break down. so I went out about a year and a half ago and I bought an iPad touch. you know and the iPad touches are the, the new generation iPads you can iPods you can you, you can have your music library on them and also you have internet access but they're they're not phones but it's kind of like the internet and you've got your music library on them I like those because like I say I've got a music library of thousands and thousands of songs and I don't really want them clogging up my my, my smartphone my, my iPhone so I, I have the iPod touch and around my house here here's what we've done and this I, I give credit to my my beautiful and smart wife my my old original iPod well she had one of these like old Bose speaker things where you could just like pu- plug the I say plug you just like set in the stand, you could set the old iPod in and, and it works. Well, I, I that's so that's what I do. Up in my office when I'm getting ready for the show and stuff, I've got one of those Bose speakers and I've got my old iPod from years and years ago that still it works just fine. I've got it and I you know I put it in there and I can listen to all the music and I've got the old dial there, that works fine. And I've got my new iPod touch. That i I take with me you know when we're traveling and downstairs i've got one of these portable bose things with bluetooth and it all hooks up so i mean I, i and i can take my entire music library with me and i don't have to worry about streaming services and things like that i absolutely love it love the ipods so i was very disappointed when i saw this story in the washington post today the ipods are going away in a statement released Tuesday, Apple said it would continue selling the seventh generation iPod Touch, and that's the one I have, but only while supplies last, which means that the, the era of the iPod is, is pretty much, you know, over. Um, you know, for years, Apple has been pulling back on its line of, you know, like these portable media machines. Um, they discontinued that classic click wheel one, like my original one that I use upstairs in my office. That went away in 2014. The iPod Nano disappeared three years later, and and clearly. They're sending a message that we're, we're going to be done with the iPod Touch, which is, like I say, it's the same. It's very much like a smartphone, except it's not a phone. But you've got Internet access, and you've got you know all, all your tunes that are there. And they're, they're not saying it's completely being discontinued, but they're saying they're not making any more. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As somebody who is a huge, 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 huge music fan, And I understand their streaming services and and things like that. But I'm sorry. I'm not ready to let go of of these iPods. I love the fact that I can, like I say, have my entire music library in something that's about the size of a cigarette pack that I can put in my pocket and take with me anywhere I I go. Or in the case, like I say, of my old original iPod, I've been able to resurrect it with this old Bose speaker system, and I I think I'm hoping to be able to get a couple more years of use out of it, maybe even more than that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, iPod fans. Do you remember when these first came out? Do you remember how the word I'm going to use is sort of transformative? Because up until the iPod, you know, you really, again, if you wanted to if you wanted to take music with you on the road, you're pretty much talking about, okay, I've got my portable CD player, I've got my case of CDs. I thought the iPods were transformative. I think the iPod touch is incredibly cool. And honestly, I mean, maybe it's just a generational thing, but I'm surprised that Apple is bailing on these because I would think that there's still a demand for this type of ability to get this music without having to put it all on, on your smartphone and take all that space up. 855-616-1620. iPods are going the way of the dinosaur, and I'm not ready to see them go. What do you think? 855-616-620. One of our texters sending me a picture of their old iPod with the wheel, you know, um, put on, on the dashboard of their car with like a Sony player. Said I love this picture, but get Spotify. You don't need to download anything. You have millions of songs at your fingertips. Eleven dollars a month for no commercials. It's a steal. I use it every day. Well, the thing is, I've, I've already I've already paid for all these songs and stuff. I've got a six seven thousand songs in my iTunes library. Don't need to pay eleven dollars a month. All I need to do is plug in my ipod or my ipod touch except they're not going to make them anymore marnie in milwaukee you're on wtmj
8: hi i have a um i have an old ipod with a wheel um my husband is still using it on one of those like ipod um like docks right. he has that by his workstation but we bought for my kids um a while back in like an ipod touch i think it was 11 years ago we bought it Mm-hmm. And you put music onto it. It doesn't have internet. I don't have to worry about my kids surfing or downloading or anything. And it was huge and it recently it wouldn't hold charge. It didn't hold charge. The kids cracked the screen. But it was still working until the battery died. Yeah. And it cannot be charged. Yeah. So that- I had to buy another one and can't get it
2: yeah that's the um see that's what drove me to buy the iPod touch and the ones I have I've got the seventh generation so it's got the internet thing, but that my original iPod with the wheel it just wouldn't hold a charge, so now I can use it, but it just has to be plugged into that docking station but I, I you know i I still love these i I cannot believe that that there's not that there's still not a market out there, but maybe everybody's doing the Spotify thing and just downloading it and paying you saying like
8: the Spotify thing. I don't like the Spotify I thing. I don't want to have to pay per month. I have tons of music. I came into my marriage with a lot of music. My husband came in with a ton of music that I didn't even have. We've got like I don't know forty-five days worth of music to never repeat, and the, the problem is like when I got my new car. My old car had a tape deck, which I loved, and a CD player. <laughs> so I don't want to use my service. I want to use my iPod that I can just either yeah. hook up through Bluetooth or use a male-to-male connector, stick it in the aux cord, and listen to whatever I want, organized however I want. The audiobooks I own, and now I'm really stuck.
2: Yeah. No. Exactly. No. Th- th- I, ex- exactly. It's it's that now. A number of people are saying, "Well, you know, you can put these all on your smartphone." Yes, I I know I can, but I I don't necessarily want to clutter up my my smartphone with like seven thousand or eight thousand songs. I mean, that's I, I actually plus I, I like having the the dedicated you know, iPod that's got the music on it, or in the case of the newer ones, the iPod Touch, which, you know, I mean, it's it, it's like a smartphone, except it just doesn't have the calling capabilities. I, I just can't believe that there's not a market for this. But obviously, I mean, Apple knows what they're doing. But this is, you know, this is where they're um, going. You know, there's, you're, right. And somebody, said, one of our texters is saying, well, you can't keep up uh, with iTunes, um, you know, one of the things that's going on is it's it's you know it's more difficult to kind of put the music in there and stuff like that, and I, and I understand all that, but it's just I've got all this music here that I want to listen to. Jeff, I still use an iPod Shuffle. Oh, that's going back a ways for my Christmas playlist. It still holds a charge, and it's great to have hundreds of Christmas songs that play in random order. Well, there's an appeal to that as. Well, Jeff, got to keep up with the times. iPods are outdated. Smartphones sound better. Out with the old, in with the new. Well, I don't know. But at the same time, I I kind of... I like it. Now, I understand. It was very hard for me to move on from the iPod with the dial. Still like that, but I, I accept the fact that, okay, now you need to have that Internet access. But I have to admit, I thought the iPod Touch was going to be around that. Jeff Denise in Manitowalk says, I'm still using my iPod Nano plugged into the USB in my car. Well, yeah. There's um. You've got that phone, Jeff. The other thing is that a lot of the smartphones are huge, huge. Who wants to lug that thing on a jog or a walk? Well, there's there is an element to that as well. There's no question about it. A number of people are telling me Spotify, Pandora. That's the way of the future. I understand it's the way of the future. I I get it, and I suspect that a certain point in time, people will look back on the generation of the of iPods and say, okay, this that's horse and buggy. That's like, you know, people with the record players and things like that. And Why don't you get yourself a 45? And I understand. I'm old enough to have seen the various moving from, like, the the records, the 45 and the 33 and a third RPMs, and then you know, you had the 8-track tapes. Why we had 8-track tapes? Lord only knows. And then you had the cassette tapes and things like that. Then we merged into the CD era. And then it went from there. Jane, what am I forgetting? I'm sure there's... I think you've got them all. You know, because, I mean, do you remember the do you remember, I remember thirty threes. You remember the eight tracks?
6: Oh, of course. I, I,
2: what? I I, I, mean, was, I I why people had eight track? Because for people who are not familiar with what we're talking about, there were these these kind of big boxy things, and you'd plug them in, and they would just they would change. Sometimes in the middle of the song, you'd be in the middle of the song, and it would switch to the next track.
6: Yeah, it was it was a really clunky, really. I mean, there was it was not seamless. Like you say, it would it would. When it right. ran to the end of that tape, it would just stop and then turn over and kind of sort of pick up where you left where, off, but not exactly. Maybe in the middle of the song. And then, of course, so then you had the, the cassette decks. I remember
2: when I was in high school, honest to God, there were people I, that I went to high school with, the sound system in their car, the cassette player and stuff was worth more than their cars. Oh, yes. <laughs>
6: yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And the
2: great big speakers. <laughs> right. The, the big speakers and stuff. So then then we went through the cassette era, and then you know it, it switched over to CDs, and now mp3s and all these things and it's just and and of course vinyl is coming back in some respects as well so people are but i just i just want to keep my ipod that that's all you know i i just I, I love my ipod i love my ipod touch and i was very disappointed that you know apple's decided to that they're not saying they're not selling them but they're saying that all the ones they've made once they sell them they're gone so if if you want If you want the iPod, the seventh generation, the iPod Touch, they're still out there. Go out and buy it because if you don't get it now, well, it's going to be gone for good. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Okay, so Jane, one of... One of our textures says, "Okay, if you love the iPod, you probably still have a VHS. Remember the VHS? The I do, of course. Of course, absolutely. And I, I am old enough to remember when there was the, the there was there was actually competition. There was Sony you had Betamax, so you had the Betas and yes. you had the VHS, and, and there and Beta never took off. Beta never took off, but there was the VHS. But I no, I, I no longer. Oh, well, okay, my my late wife, she used to, she had." Um, she had this she would record like figure skating and things like that so she had this huge array of, of tapes and I can remember we ended up buying a couple like extra VHS's because she wanted to make sure because one one died we knew we weren't going to be able to replace it so at one point in time we did have three or four VHS's and I, th- I think they ended up at some point in time going to Goodwill because sure. didn't see the use of it but yeah you can remember like VHS and I, I can remember like Blockbuster Video now there's only like one left in the country but on Friday nights people would rush the blockbuster video to get the movies so they could watch them on their vhs's and yes. things like that
6: yes my computer my new laptop now doesn't even have a place for a dvd Right to right. watch movies on.
2: Yeah, you have to. Right, most of them don't nowadays. You have to buy that a- extension. You can buy. You can buy like that separate, independent drive that you plug in. But yeah, that, that's right. The, the days of like being able to p- open up the button and put in the DVD or the CD and they, watch
6: watch your old movies can't do that anymore. They
2: are gone. But yeah, it's. I, I think. Look, here's here's part of it too, and a couple of our texters are are making are making this point. I, I think the trend in the industry, whether it's. For for video or whether for its its music is streaming services so people are constantly paying you know because like with the iTunes I I own those songs I mean I've bought this I purchased the CDs it belongs to me I've downloaded that so I don't have to pay for for this whereas the streaming services you you do you know it's and you can argue whether Spotify is a deal at eleven bucks a month I don't care about that but you have to you have to pay for it or the on-demand services if you go out and you actually buy the Blu-ray disc and I I still I mean I I still have a I've got a Blu-ray disc player that's hooked up to my TVs and do all. you still use it not that much because it's between on-demand and all the different streaming services. I, I don't, and, and my wife keeps saying, well, maybe we should just donate all these different Blu-ray discs to, you know, to charity or something like that, and, and she has a point, but I've been resisting on this. But, yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. It's like if you have the streaming services, you don't need the Blu-ray discs, but the difference is you've got to pay for the streaming services. And they got gotcha. And they've got you, and they'll have you forever instead of owning it. So that's it's just the free market, and it's how this all it's how it all just kind of uh, moves along. And I understand; I'm still a dinosaur, but I'm holding on to that iPod as long as I possibly can. So very glad to have you with us. All right, the Milwaukee County Transit System has been struggling for the longest period of time. I mean there's a lot of stuff going on. Fewer and fewer people are riding the bus, so there's no question about that. You have a situation where it, it costs more to operate bus lines. There's no question about that. And they're having a really difficult time finding bus drivers. That that's and I'm I I guess I understand that because Employers all over are are having a difficult time finding employees. But you would think working for the the bus system would be a, a, a sort of a desirable job. Now, I, I desirable as far as pay and things like that and, and benefits. I understand that you know being a bus driver. Uh, has certain ups and downs, including the fact that you know you're. I think dealing with some passengers nowadays is tough, and you know driving a bus, uh, especially during a pandemic, I'm sure wasn't any sort of fun at all. But we're starting to come out of the pandemic. But the bottom line is, the bus companies been struggling, and they've got some structural deficits that are out there. Now it is interesting to me that at a time where that the, the bus company is saying we, we don't have you know we don't have enough money to or drivers to keep up on certain routes that they are talking about um spending million to create this bus rapid transit system that's going to run from downtown to the medical college um, that is going to knock off a grand total of eight minutes. It's going to cost $725,000 a year more to run the bus rapid transit system than it does to operate the regular bus line that they've got going out there, and it's going to save you eight minutes. Now, I I would kind of argue that $55 million plus an extra $725,000 a year for the bus rapid transit, all to save eight minutes, is, well, probably not the best use of money. But, okay, that ship has already sailed. You know, they argue that if you do the bus rapid transit thing, you're going to attract 9,500 people every weekday instead of 7,200. I just... I I don't believe that that's going to be the case. I think this is going to be this like giant white elephant that we, we have put in there. But nevertheless, that's where it is. But as a result of this, there's not enough drivers and there's not enough money to do certain other things. So one of the things that they have pretty much announced is that things that a lot of us actually would consider riding the bus for who might never have ridden the bus otherwise. A lot of these have now gone away. For example, Milwaukee County Transit System says that uh, freeway flyers, the Summerfest Shuttle Service, Wisconsin State Fair Service, the Brewer's Line, and service to the county's ethnic festivals— They've all—they're being discontinued. They've been suspended, and they're not going to return anytime soon. Now, the justification for this is, well, we're we're having trouble running—finding drivers to run regular routes, and so we don't want to get into a situation where, hey, we've got a route that's going down to Summerfest. We've got one of the freeway flyers that are taking people down to Summerfest, and— We've got drivers that have called in sick, so we don't have enough drivers to do the regular, you know, routes, so we're, we're not going to have the Summerfest service. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, part part of the problem that you have in Milwaukee is that this is still a car city, and it, it's reasonably easy to get around. In a car, there's you know there's some cities Chicago, New York where it's in many respects it's not practical to have a car because it's just such a pain in the butt and so expensive. Milwaukee's not like that. At least it's not like that yet, and I don't think it's ever going to be like that. So one of the, the issues that the bus companies always had is that, all right, people as soon as they can afford a car, they get a car and largely stop riding the bus. Not everybody, but but. That's sort of the the trend. One of the first things is, hey, you get a job, you save money. One of the first things you do is you you end up getting a car so you can have that freedom and flexibility. And that's the issue that the buses have always faced. At the same time, if you want to look at things that actually get people to ride the the buses and especially get people to ride buses who wouldn't otherwise use them, to me, it's the freeway flyer. It's the Summerfest shuttles. It's taking people to the Brewers game. It's taking people out to State Fair Park. It's bringing people down to Irish Fest. It's bringing people down to German Fest. And I guess I understand there's economic pressures, but it seems to me that a decision to cancel these different routes, freeway flyer, Until downtown comes back, I I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know about that one because I don't know how much demand there is. I don't know how many workers are still going back downtown right now. So I don't know that that makes sense. But canceling the Summerfest shuttle, canceling the State Fair shuttle, canceling the buses, the special buses that go out to American Family Field, I got to think that that's short-sighted and a mistake. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? And are those services that you would, in fact, ride? I mean, I I can remember not that long ago, at least the park and rides being absolutely jammed for, say, buses down to Summerfest. And it would seem to me that given the fact that, for example, let's take Summerfest as an example, you know, Summerfest nine days over three weekends this coming summer, you would think that you would be able to find the manpower to run the buses because, candidly, I think there's still an incredible demand. Am I missing something? Back with more in just a minute. I just think this is a huge mistake. Um, I I understand why the bus company has has suspended the the freeway flyers because I'm not sure downtown is back yet. So I'm not sure where the demand for that is, even though it's a nice feature. But you, you can't You can't run buses that nobody's riding. Now, a lot of the major routes, nobody's riding it, but they do that. But this decision to cancel the specialty buses, to cancel the freeway flyer parking lot uh, rides down to Summerfest, to cancel the trips out to the buses to State Fair, to the Brewers game, I think that is incredibly short-sighted because— Th- those buses were always, were almost always packed. I got to believe that they're the one aspect of the bus company that really probably does, in fact, pay for itself, and it's one of the ways that you can get people who would otherwise never consider getting on a bus to, to go on the bus, and maybe it's a way of maybe even attracting business. Now, we've got money. We've got $725,000 a year that it's going to cost over and above what it costs now to operate this bus rapid transit line to take you eight miles from downtown Milwaukee out to the medical college. So you can find 725000 bucks to do that, but you can't find enough money to run, again, a, a shuttle service down to Summerfest for the nine days that Summerfest is going to run, or out to State Fair for the 11 days that State Fair runs. Really? 855-616-1620. I think it is very short-sighted, and I think it's a huge mistake. Nancy in Burlington. Nancy, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hi. Hi, Jeff. And and to think, to get to the medical college, that is so easy. I mean, and they have awesome parking, but to go to State Fair, we won't go to State Fair than this year, and we haven't been in two years. Mm-hmm. And we won't go to Supper Fest and we, again, because of the pandemic, haven't been in two years. We're out in Burlington. We park at Southridge, catch the freeway flyer. Yep. We've been doing it for twenty years,
2: and it's always packed, right? I mean, or almost always packed. Always,
5: I, always, yeah. and there's some of the oddest people on it. Yeah. But you still get on it and go, you
2: know? Oh, absolutely! No, thanks for calling. I, there, there is an incredible demand for this that's out there, and it, you know, and one of the things that I think again is so short-sighted by the bus company's decision to not do this is you, you're not making a 365 day commitment. You're you're making a commitment. Okay, State Fair is 11 days right? Um, Summerfest is nine days. It's a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday over three separate weekends. You seriously mean to tell me that you can't figure out how to do staffing? I, look, I understand if you were talking about, hey, we're, we're going to try to figure out how we're going to get the people and the buses and the equipment to run these lines 365 days a year. I, I, I understand they've got a problem trying to find drivers and stuff, but you're not talking about 365. You're talking about, well, nine days of Summerfest, 11 days of State Fair, and then, you know, the the Brewer's line that runs out there and the ethnic festivals. You're talking about a handful of, of days, and even then, you're not running them 24-7. You start them, what, at noon or whatever, or, you know, and then you ended it at um, midnight or whatever. Jeff, I've always taken the bus to State Fair as it's a convenient drop-off and pick-up at the gate. I'm not about to park blocks away as mobility is an issue. I may not go in the future, which is a shame. I love the fair and I look forward to it. It's reasonably priced. I refuse to pay the parking fees at the lot or in people's yards. I sincerely hope they rethink this. Um, yeah, Jeff. This helps keep drunk drivers off the road as well. You know what? What a um, you know what a problem with this, Jeff. I'm from Brookfield. I use the freeway flyers to go to the state fair every year. I'm a little older, and I don't want to walk six blocks to get to the fair because then I have to walk around at the fair. The buses were incredibly convenient. Yes, they they were. This is a service that people would use. I mean, there's just. No question about this. And again, I, I, I come back and they say, if they say they can't afford it, well, okay, you, you can, we can afford 50-some million dollars, admittedly most of it federal money, to, to knock eight minutes off and tear up all these lanes of traffic and create disruptions to get you you know from downtown out to the medical college, but you can't find a little money to run buses to Summerfest, for goodness sakes. Um, let's talk to, let's see, we've got Jeff in Oak Creek. Jeff, you're on WTMJ.
5: Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call, sure. and, and thank you for touching on this uh, this issue in downtown Milwaukee and on the Marquette campus. Eight minutes is not a whole lot of time, and the TV stations and, and the Journal Sentinel has not really reported on, on the major change that's going to happen when this uh, new service takes effect. Uh, currently, we have two traffic lanes going east into downtown and two lanes going west outbound. When, when this bus service takes effect, uh, you're, you're essentially removing one of those traffic lanes. One will be a dedicated bus lane. Yep. And the other will be, uh, just general traffic. Yep. And with the reckless driving going on in the city of Milwaukee, that is just going to irritate a lot of, um, Jeff, Let's no, just say the unlicensed drivers and the reckless drivers. What, well, Jeff? I'm going to thank go,
2: No, it's going to be a No, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks for calling. I, I want to kind of focus on the, the Summerfest issue, but you're you're preaching to the choir that to spend fifty plus million dollars for this this bus rapid transit line, it's going to be a complete and total cluster bumble. There's just no doubt about it. You're right. They're tearing up lanes of traffic. The, this idea that all of a sudden we're going to get people out of their cars. And they're going to drive to some park and ride, and they're going to park their cars on the street in Milwaukee to have them stolen while they hop on a bus and then take the bus out to the medical college where, like one of our previous callers saying there are plenty of parking. This, I mean, I understand. This is hip and trendy, but— all the money they are spending on it, and it's going to cost $725,000 more a year to run this BRT with all the other disruptions than it would otherwise to just have the regular bus service and the, these projections that, oh, it's going to increase this ridership, same people that came up with that are probably the same people that claim that people would be riding the hop by the thousands and thousands. But but that that's, that's all well and good. At the same time, though, I guess my point is when you have a service that people— actually use, like, for example, the, these these flyers to, to, to things like Summerfest or State Fair, why you wouldn't figure out a way to make this work is just absolutely and totally, you know, beyond me. And there, there's a lot of people who depend, or I don't want to say depend, because I guess you don't have to go to Summerfest and you don't have to go to the State Fair, but there's all sorts of people who used this service, and unlike the Airbuses, the routes where nobody is traveling on, you would think if you were in marketing at the bus company, if you were the people making the decisions, you'd say, okay, what, what is some of the stuff we're doing that, that's working? And I mean, I expect they have a right to make money on these. And, you know, you, you price it accordingly because the truth is, if you've got to bump the fare up a bit, people would still be willing to do it because it's still a lot cheaper than driving down and figuring out how to pay for parking. Jeff, what about the people who work at the fair and on Summerfest? They use the buses. Is this going to be a shortage of workers there? Well, that's going to be the issue as well. The the priority, the question is priorities. And I guess this idea that you've got something that works and that people are using, and this is what we're going to get rid of in order to sustain stuff that people aren't using and aren't working, it's just I mean, it's, it's government, or in this case, quasi-government, and it's absolute worse. Bring back the Flyers to Summerfest. Bring back the Flyers to State Fair. Bring back the Flyers to German Fest. Bring back the Flyers to American Family Field. And I, I think, you know, you'll find that if you run them, people will use them. When we come back, let's find out what Jane Matinair and Melissa Barkley have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.